0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony
1: Perkins. Welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Well, over the weekend, President Biden addressed the Congressional Black Caucus Phoenix Awards here in D.C. When I came to office, this nation was flat on its back. I knew what to do. I vaccinated the nation and rebuilt the economy. Oh, it's just that simple. Vaccinate the nation and rebuild the economy. Well, meanwhile, Republican leaders in the House worked through the weekend trying to find a way forward in an effort to keep government funded and open while at the same time reining in the out of control and wasteful government spending. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And if it sounds as if the situation at the southern border is out of control, well, it is probably because it is. Custom and Border Protection announced late Friday that roughly 232,000 232,000 migrants crossed the border in August, a record for the calendar year and an increase of more than 25 percent over July.
2: Was the Biden administration caught off guard by this latest surge of migrants? What you
0: saw
3: was the administration, as always, responding as needed to conditions, being uh, proactive where necessary.
2: Were you caught off guard, though? uh,
3: Look, uh, the the president did what needed to be done.
1: That was, uh, of course, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. Well, it would appear the Biden administration is not being honest. Internal documents revealed that Homeland Security knew that this surge was coming. The Biden administration knew the surge was coming, and they did nothing. We'll talk with Texas Congressman Keith Self in just a moment. From top to bottom, the left cannot contain their disdain for parents.
4: I respect differences of opinions. I don't have too much respect for people that are misbehaving in public and then acting as if they know what's right for kids.
1: Uh, that was Biden's Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, in an interview Friday with the Associated Press. Let me uh, interpret that for you. Uh, he has no respect for parents who are upset with the indoctrination that the left is doing of our children being spearheaded by the Biden administration. But Here's the question. Has parental engagement in education struck a nerve? With the left, I'm going to be joined by FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon, later here on Washington Watch. And the more I dig into the minutiae of last week's meeting of the United Nations General Assembly and the efforts of the World Health Organization, that is, the WHO, to advance their global power grab, the more I am concerned. Now, this power-hungry agency, I believe, is vying to be the forerunner of one world government, one world government. And that's not hyperbole. Jim Roguski, a member of the Law and Activism Committee at the World Council for Health, is here to provide more. And you may have seen the video of two thugs in a stolen car who intentionally ran into and killed Andreas Probst while he was riding his bike last month. His daughter, Taylor, had this to say after the second suspect was arrested last week.
3: Andy's life was robbed by two individuals who did not believe that lives of others matter.
1: We believe that Andy's murder is a direct result of society's decayed family values and the strong effects that social media has on our youth. I'll talk about that later. The website TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you, contact information for our guest as well. Our word for today comes from Romans 1. Paul, a servant This is not semantics. This is significant. We're not called away from or out of the world. We're called to Christ, and we leave the world behind. It is not about being emptied of something. It's about being filled with something. Following Jesus is not a list of don'ts. It is a to-do list. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible, or join me each morning for a short devotional at tonyperkins.com. Well, with government funding set to expire at midnight Saturday, Republican leaders in the House worked through the weekend to find a way forward through the current GOP impasse. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy plans to move forward with four of the 12 appropriations bills in the House this week, which he hopes will move conservative members to support a short-term funding mechanism that will allow the House to remove the remaining appropriation bills through the floor and over to the Senate. Joining me now to discuss this in more is Congressman Robert Adderholt. He serves on the House Appropriations Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Alabama. Congressman Adderholt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you.
5: Well, Tony, always good to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, I know you've been involved in uh, some of the negotiations and conversations because you and I spoke uh, over the weekend, and, and I've, yeah. I've spoken to the House uh, speaker, what's the latest on the budget negotiations? Have Republicans found a way forward?
5: Well, as of right now, the speaker, uh, my understanding is that uh, he wants to bring up four bills this week, uh, and that would be the defense of a Homeland Security Bill, Appropriation Bill, along with a Foreign Operations and then Agricultural Appropriation Bill. And uh, The last uh, communication I had was all of those bills would be under one rule. It would move forward, but each individual bill would be debated separately. And uh, that was in one response because a lot of members, and and rightly so, a lot of members have been concerned about the the fact that we've not been bringing individual appropriations to the bills to the floor in the last several years. And no one wants to see them lump them together. And so this is a way to force uh, to call uh, the hand of the leadership and say we need to move forward on these bills individually as opposed to just all of them in block. And so I think that's the goal of all of us. I think the question is, is uh, we can't probably time will not allow by Saturday to get all uh, we got well, I say all 12, but we passed one. But all uh, uh, the remaining 11 passed. But um, but certainly I think it will go a long way in showing to the rest of the conference the speaker's commitment uh, to bring these bills up individually.
1: And, Robert, that was a, a key part of the negotiation back in January. And it, it quite frankly, you know, as an appropriator, you, I think, understand and have share the yeah. frustration. All these things, after you do all that work in committee, they're just lumped together and there's no debate. They're just one vote and they're pushed forward.
5: All right. No, I. It's been a. Uh, it's been very difficult to vote for those omnibus appropriation bills because a lot of things are lumped in them. And so I welcome the opportunity to pass these individually. What I. What would probably be in the best interest, I think, of everyone, is for these bills to be. We proceed this week and pass all four of those individually. And then, if by Saturday, which we'll get as many as we can pass, can. Pass uh, off the floor, then pass a short-term CR. And I know a lot of my colleagues don't want to do a CR, but that would avoid a shutdown. With the commitment that we will maybe even be back next week, which is supposed to be a recess week for members, but I think most—I think most every member will be willing to, to cut to stay in town and work on those appropriation bills to uh, plow through the, the remaining eleven.
1: So, Congressman, my my, my take on this is those four bills put forward, as you said, there will be one rule, but they'll be they'll be debated individually that this is kind of a good faith effort to try to build support for that continuing resolution if it's needed.
5: I think that's the speaker's intention. Now, again, I I think a lot of us, you know, obviously would like to have seen uh, all these bills already on the floor, but. Uh, Because of various, uh, you know, of course, there's always the August recess, which occurs, and uh, we're not in session during the month of August. And so that prohibits a lot of work from being done during the month of August. But um, and then uh, there was obviously a couple of Jewish holidays during September that have caused us, including today, being uh, Yom Kippur. So um, that's why we're not voting today and we're not going to be voting until tomorrow. So, obviously, it would have been best to probably have pared down the recess. Uh, but, of course, that's the speaker's uh, decision how to do that and the majority leader. And, um, you know, we we abide by what uh, the schedule we're given.
1: Right. So, uh, Congressman Adderholt, how much time will be allocated to debating each one of these appropriations bills? And I know the rules got to be voted on first, but I'm assuming that uh, amendments will be allowed?
5: That's my understanding. And as I was on a conference call with the speaker and uh, the majority leader on Saturday, and uh, I believe the number that was put out there, there was about 400 amendments uh, to these four bills.
1: I mean, that could take a so, lot of legislative time on the floor to debate that.
5: Absolutely. No, there's no question that will take a lot of time. But like I said, I think members are very committed to getting in there and and doing what it takes to get those individual appropriation bills passed. And obviously, uh, you know, I understand from a lot of my colleagues that are very frustrated with the process, uh, because obviously when you're spending more money than you're taking in, you know, bad things are going to happen. And so therefore, we have got to get a handle on this. And I think some of the members are trying to really send the message uh, to the Senate, you get your work done, we got to get our work done, or, or you know, this thing is just going to explode at some point, and we better pay attention to it now as opposed to on down the road.
1: Congressman adderholt correct me if I'm wrong, um, but back in January when we went through 15 rounds of voting on a speaker, I mean, there was a lot of hand-wringing and consternation. And, and, and I said, "You know, I, I think this is a good process. A lot of stuff was being aired. Now, I know it's been right. difficult. i, I, I again, I, I spoke to the speaker over the weekend. I know he's having a difficult time. Um, I talked to members of the Freedom Caucus on a regular basis. Uh, they're a little frustrated. I mean, everybody's kind of frustrated. But I mean, we have a more conservative Republican conference than we've ever had before. And we're addressing some of these issues. And I think this process speaks to that, too. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's uncertain. But if we're ever going to get to our out-of-control spending, this is how it's going to be done.
5: Yeah, no question, Tony. And this is long overdue. uh, And I think this conference is one that has really decided that we've got to either, uh, as the old saying goes, fish or cut bait. We've uh, We've got to move forward. And that's what the message is. But if we do move on these four preparation bills this week and the speaker uh, brings those to the floor, regardless of uh, what happens, and he makes a commitment to do that, then I think that that will go a long way in trying to at least get up like a five-day CR just to allow us to pass a few more. I I really am concerned about doing over a month CR because I think that will just – you know, everybody will say we got plenty of time, right. and so we'll just kick the can down the road. So I would be favor of doing a seven day CR to let us just work for the next seven days and getting the getting more bill individual bills passed.
1: I think that would be a much better approach. So uh, the message is get the coffee out. There to be some late nights there on Capitol Hill this week.
5: Well, very could be, very well could be, and especially with 400 amendments on four bills, and not to speak of the remainder of the bills that hadn't even come up yet.
1: All right. Uh, Congressman Robert Adderholt, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today.
5: Thank you, Tony. Thank you for all your work.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. We're going to be tracking that all this week. Uh, Congressman Adderholt, a good friend, known him for a long time. He actually uh, chairs the Values Action Team in the the House. All right. Uh, Coming up, as the migrant crisis continues at our southern border, recent polling shows that Americans overwhelmingly blame The Biden administration, not the Republicans, not President Trump. The Biden administration, and rightfully so. Texas Congressman Keith Self joins me to discuss what's happening at the border after the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Monday. Uh, let me uh, once again give you the Capitol switchboard number. This is a number you need to have by, uh, standing by to make uh, phone calls. Again, our republic was made for participants, not spectators. 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121. So we'll talk about the crisis at our southern border. It's reached a level where even Democrat mayors and governors are attacking the Biden administration. Still, even as up to 10,000 migrants a day illegally enter the country, the White House has doubled down on its failed policies, blaming Republicans, believe it or not. But a recent poll from The Washington Post and ABC News show that Americans know where to point the finger. It's President Biden. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Keith Self. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the House Veterans Affairs Committee, and as a member of the Republican Study uh, Caucus, he represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Self, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Great to be here, Tony. Thank you. So let's talk about, uh, I mean, you're you're from Texas. You understand the problem. You've been down to the border. Uh, 10,000 border apprehensions uh, a day. Um, last week. Given the Biden administration's failing policies, could this be an issue that we see interjected into the funding over government this week?
3: I think absolutely that's the case. Uh, The Biden lawlessness and their policies on the border are becoming evident to everyone. Uh, It is really hard to stomach now. Some of the videos that are even coming out of my uh, Texas colleagues who who are at Eagle Pass today uh, it is amazing what they're seeing. And yes, it will uh, be an issue uh, this week as we address four different appropriations bills.
1: Now, one of the things, uh, Keith, that you've brought up is the, uh, the crisis regarding unaccompanied minors crossing the border. In 2022, I, I believe there was like 130,000 unattended children that entered the United States. That surpassed the previous record of 122,000 in uh, back in 2021,
3: and they admit the administration admits they've lost 85,000 of those young children. Uh, they just can't account for them. Uh, they are supposed to be vetting uh, the foster parents or the the people that they get uh, that they leave them with. They're not. So these young children uh, could likely be in the sex trade, boys and girls as well as women. Uh, they could be in indentured servanthood. Uh, these are issues that the that the Biden administration has no answers for.
1: Now, wait, wait, I want you to get I want you to restate that 80,000
3: 80, that just lost. They don't know where they're at. They let 80, them in, but they don't know where they're at. Eighty five thousand was the last number that I heard children that they have just lost. That's incredible. It that, is.
1: How How is that compassionate? You know, that, that's what they're saying, that this is a compassionate policy to let these people into the United States. They're letting unaccompanied minors come in, many of them being exploited. And we know that's the case.
3: It, it is. The the night that I was there, I saw four boys traveling together, no adult with them, looked like they were maybe eight, 10 years old. What happened to those young boys? I'm, I'm sure no one knows. Uh, this is a part of the crisis that uh, all that contributes to the sex trade that contribute contributes to the indentured servanthood. Uh, so it's not just the, the numbers of peoples, it's what happening right, to them right. when they get here. Right. Well, and I want you to
1: respond to this Congressman, because according to a report leas- released last week by the Christian, by Christian group, uh, by the Christian group, world relief and open doors, USA, Muslim refugees arrivals uh, declined into the United States. It's a Rohingya. Uh, those that are seeking refuge here in the country, they declined by 62 percent. Christians, that number declined by 70 percent. Yazidis that were fleeing to this country uh, from persecution 100 percent over the last six years. So we're seeing while, while the open border at the south and our southern border is just wide open, people are coming across, those who are actually seeking refuge in this country because of religious persecution is plummeting. This is no longer a safe place. People are not coming. They're not being allowed to come seeking refuge here.
3: Well, we don't really know why the drops are. It could be that we're just so focused on the illegal immigration uh, that we don't have any attention for anything else. Because uh, as of, I think, yesterday, uh, one of the border control agents said they're simply overwhelmed. Uh, There is no border. Uh, President Biden has no respect for the border, has no respect for the law. He considers Congress irrelevant. Even if we passed more laws through the Congress, would that change the Biden behavior? Would it allow more people who are actually suffering persecution to come to America— Or does the system just remain overwhelmed?
1: I I think this is intentional. I think they're intentionally allowing the southern border to be (laughs) overrun, and they could care less about religious persecution. I mean, theres uh, you might not be familiar with this, but there is a a German homeschool family currently living in East Tennessee, came here 15 years ago. Uh, The Obama administration tried to boot them out, then Trump left them alone. Well, now they're— being told they're going to be sent back to Germany. They're here. They escaped because of uh, homeschooling being persecuted in Germany, and now the Biden administration wants to kick them out.
3: That's just pettiness, Tony. That's just abuse of the rule of law because they can. That's all that is. It's just pettiness.
1: I mean, it, it, it the the unfair unjust application of the laws under the Biden administration is uh, is deeply troubling. Uh, final question for you, Congressman Self. What is your expectation this week as the House looks down this uh, five—I mean, we've got five days to fund government. What do you see as the outcome?
3: I hope that we can pass some bills. I'm understanding. What I'm hearing through uh, my sources is that the Ukraine funding is still in it, uh, several bills that we will hear this week. Uh, And there are still a number of people who have said they will not vote for the rule nor the bill if the Ukraine funding is in it. Uh, This almost looks to me like it's a setup for failure. Uh, If it is, if it is a setup for failure in order to blame the conservatives, uh, then I go back to uh, that—the frustration, the anger that we're hearing across America today, because I don't think people are ready to accept more debt. Uh, more uh, lawlessness by the Biden administration, I think this is our chance to actually make a change in the in the Congress and in the federal government this year because we have the people behind us this year.
1: Yeah, Uh, I agree with you. Congressman Keith Self of Texas. uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, folks, after the break, what is the real crisis facing America? I'll talk about it. Don't go away.
6: Get this free guide at frc.org slash prolifemen to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
7: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org/worldview. Again, go to frc.org/worldview.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Our nation is in crisis. It's not a gun crisis. It's not a fentanyl crisis. It's it's not a border crisis. It's not even a government funding crisis. It is a moral and a spiritual crisis. A sickening video that went viral last weekend fully displays this moral and spiritual crisis. The video was of two 17-year-old males who were apparently identifying as heartless, demon-possessed thugs who recorded their joyride in a stolen car. The video shows the two cheering as they ram and force one car off the road. Then, then they spotted 64-year-old Andreas Probst, a retired police officer, taking his morning bike ride. The driver asked his passenger if he was ready to capture their feet on camera. So swerving into the bike lane behind Probst, they blew the horn and then plowed into the back of him throwing him onto the windshield over the car and onto the pavement as they accelerated the thug in the passenger seat turned to catch on camera probes to bounce onto the road where he died. The driver was arrested shortly thereafter and taken to the juvenile detention center. And the Clark County district attorney's office is reportedly looking into charging the driver as an adult. Now, Don't expect the White House or others that see violent crime as little more than justification to grab more power over law-abiding citizens to pay any attention to a drive-over killing. However, this crime is so shocking. Some are asking, how did we arrive at such a place where cold-blooded murder is callously carried out like a virtual video game? Well, should we really—I mean, really, should we be surprised? As a nation, we've pushed God to the outskirts of society. Instead of our children being taught that they are created in the image of God and therefore have value, we're telling them that they come from animals, and then we're shocked when they act like animals. This, my friends, is a moral and a spiritual crisis. But don't expect political leaders, especially those on the left, to acknowledge that fact because they refuse to look beyond the symptoms. Take the mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, who is calling for city-owned grocery stores to be placed in neighborhoods that have become what he calls food deserts. Why are they food deserts? Well, Walmart and Whole Foods have shuttered their stores because of unsustainable losses. Retailers nationwide are going under and shutting their doors because of a $100 billion shoplifting epidemic moving across this nation. I mean, it's gotten so bad here in Washington, D.C., that almost everything is behind locked plexiglass. Now, Commentators and conservatives point to lax policies like California's Prop 47, which reduced theft from a potential felony to a misdemeanor. Now, certainly, these lax policies only compound the lawlessness fostered by depleted and demoralized police departments in the wake of the left's defund the police movement. But it's not just civil government that has facilitated this moral and spiritual crisis that threatens the very future of our country. I've often been asked this question while in conversation with political leaders. Tony? Why do pastors want us to vote on and speak about issues that they won't preach about from the pulpit? Wow. Well, to be sure, many pastors are preaching on these issues. Some of them were at the recent Pray Vote Stand Summit. Jack Hibbs, Gary Hamrick, Vincent Matthews, and many others. But far too many fail to see their God-given role to not just preach the truth, but to challenge people to live by the truth in every aspect of life. Pastors must rediscover their prophetic voice to address this moral and spiritual crisis. Yes, the lawless, anti-God policies of government have fostered this violent and deadly environment, and the Church has, for the most part, only whispered its objections. But what about the parents? Now, I know the government has usurped the role of parents in many ways, hiding critical information from them about their children's mental and spiritual well-being at school. In fact, in some cases, they've refused to allow parents to get counseling for their children if it's not in lockstep with leftist ideology. But a recent report from King's College London suggests parents in the United States are not concerned with their children being civil or even obedient— Coming in nearly dead last in the two dozen countries surveyed, only 21% of U.S. adults say obedience was a priority for their children. What did rank near the top of their priorities? Tolerance. Well, there was little tolerance for Mr. Probst. To the 21st century ear, it may sound archaic to quote a founding father, but after all, they did craft what has become the longest surviving written charter of government in the world so maybe they knew something and maybe we can learn something about how to keep this experiment in Liberty going John Adams America's second president warned quote our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other in other words if we don't go beyond the litany of crises facing our nation and seeing them for what they are, just symptoms, whether it be the border, fentanyl, guns, or stolen cars that are used to run over innocent people. If we don't go beyond that to see what, is it, what truly is at the heart of this crisis, we'll lose this country as we know it because we will have missed the moral and the spiritual crisis confronting us. We must return to God and to His Word. And that is where I stand.
7: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
0: Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
7: Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free Factual news stories and commentaries, all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com.
0: FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congresswoman Lisa McLean.
2: In in Congress, it's tough.
5: And you get hit, you know, you you get bombs thrown at you from all different sides. And at times... Um, you have a tendency to get down. FRC approaches things in a very different way. It it approaches it with a faith-based principle, in a a faith-based manner, which is really lacking not only in Congress, but I would say in America today. FRC is an organization that provides an optimistic,
3: hopeful, positive view of the
1: future. It's one of our many friends on Capitol Hill, Congresswoman Lisa McLean, fighting for faith, family, and freedom. Well, from top to bottom, the left is hostile toward parents. Now, you might recall this clip of a teacher in Arizona questioning the right of parents (laughs) to determine what their children are taught
2: have a master's degree because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree
3: to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake.
1: Uh, That is real. Uh, That is Alicia Messing. Uh, again out in arizona um, but you know that attitude in the classroom should re- it really shouldn't surprise us when we see the white house creating uh... fbi task force to track down parents involved in education speaking out against the indoctrination in their children and you have secretary of education miguel cardona saying this on friday
4: i respect differences of opinion i don't have too much respect for people that are misbehaving in public and then acting as if they know what's right for kids.
1: Misbehaving? Maybe it should be challenging the indoctrination? Well, joining me now with her reaction is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. She served in the Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to the program.
2: Great to be here, Tony.
1: Uh, Two great clips, huh?
2: Wow. It's it's the, it's what parents always hear and feel when they're they're trying to engage with their children's schools. I mean, unfortunately. But think about
1: it for moment: Should we be surprised that that's the attitude in the classroom when that is the attitude of the secretary of education?
2: Right. I mean, in the in the clip, he says, you know, people. But we know he really is talking about parents. Um, but there were other people who were misbehaving in public during the um, covid um, pandemic when School districts wanted to open schools again, particularly in North Carolina. There was one notorious incident where the teachers union in one county sort of terrorized the superintendent's home of another county because the other county was going to open up schools. And that was the that was the footage that you saw with the hearses and the and the (laughs) and the coffins. I mean, that was misbehavior. Um, He's he's trying to imply that all the misbehavior is on the side of the parents or on the side of the right. But. We know that the the left has their own misbehavior to deal with.
1: Meg, um, it would suggest to me that parents have touched a nerve with the left.
2: I think so. I think the fact that he doesn't use the word parents tells you exactly the kind of power that parents have, and the influence that he knows parents have, and rightly have the legitimacy of their authority, and the fact that he can't even directly attack that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I said this before. You know, back in twenty ten, I, I have a benefit of being here for a while, and you—you you, longevity gives you uh, a, a, a good perspective. We had the Tea Party back in in mm-hmm. two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten election. I, I really believe that what we're seeing, what's going to drive the twenty twenty four election, is, is the the new wave of uh, the Tea Party. But it's the it's the parents, it's the mama bears who have said enough of this. This is our children,
2: right? Right. I mean, the, the cases that you see of, of people reading books that are objectionable at the school board and having their mics cut off um, these comments from the secretary comments from any number of candidates and governors all across the country um, are the, the, the disregard for parental rights by the Democratic Party and those on the left is very real. And they seem to be doubling down on this message. I mean, yeah. he didn't make these comments by accident. The video itself is only three minutes and 30 seconds long. It's really it's really worth watching the whole but, thing.
1: He said this at the very beginning of the, I want to make sure I make this point. Right? And, and back to the teacher in Arizona, I mean, th- these are our children and this is their future that we're concerned about and to say, well, I've got an advanced degree. What do these parents have? Well, they have children. Right. It's their these are their children. They have the right. They've been given the authority by God. They don't need you to sign off on or, or some institution of higher learning to give them a certificate to say they're qualified to determine what their children are taught.
2: Exactly. That's it's it it just when when they do when when these kind of clips come to light, it's just it's almost gratifying in a way because this is parents we we feel this in the attitude so often from the elected officials that we try to engage with, and we always try it civilly. That's not you know we're usually not the ones that are creating right. the problem, but we're responding to something.
1: Uh, but again, this just shows me that it's getting under their skin, so that would tell me we just need to double down. Absolutely. We need more of this, and FRC Action has uh, have, some resources the, available.
2: We have the school board boot camps at frc.action, frcaction.org schools, and um, we have, you know, we had at the Prevote Stand Summit that beautiful example of the Sonia Shaw who's I answered the call, run for school board, and she's doing wonderful things. Truly yes. changing the face of California politics yeah. from her seat on the school board.
1: But by, by the way, Meg, before I let you go, um, you mentioned the the Prevote Stand Summit. You were part of some of the panels there. What was the highlight for you at the summit?
2: I really, um, I really loved meeting with the people who were attending. And and I mean, it's always exciting to hear from the presidents and to be the presidential candidates sure. and to be in the same room with them and really get to size them up. But um, meeting with the people who support FRC and who follow our work and who are really committed to making a difference in their own communities, that's that's always the favorite thing for me.
1: And, and I sensed a, a lot of, um, and I don't want to say enthusiasm, but I mean, it's enthusiasm, but I would say a better word would be determination. Right that just as yeah. we've been talking about with the parents th- there's a the thing we're, we're not giving up without a fight right and, I, and and it's it's an optimistic fight it's not like in a fight of desperation it's an optimistic fight that you know what i believe we can win
2: i think yes and i you know we believe that um we believe in god right yeah. we believe that he is in is in charge and in control and um that is what gives us the courage to continue to Mount battles against people in seemingly authoritative places, like at right. the Secretary of Education's office, right? But um, he can say what he says, but we know what is true: that our children are given to us by God for right. us, for us, to to form and to grow, teach them to grow to follow God.
1: And and we know how to rattle those cages up there at those high places. Absolutely, Meg Kilgannon. Always great to talk with you.
2: Great to be here.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. Well, if you were uh, with us last week, we were discussing what took place at the uh, United Nations and the WHO as they were pushing forward this pandemic declaration. Now, Congresswoman, uh, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman was uh, with me last week, and we, we discussed that 11 nations withheld their support for the declaration for a variety of reasons, which prevented the United Nations from rubber stamping a pandemic response declaration that contained many objectionable terms, including censorship of anything they deemed misinformation, as well as listing universal abortion access. Uh, Ultimately, this would cede authority to unelected bureaucrats. Uh, What I see as I dig into this more and more is that the World Health Organization really wants to be the vanguard of global governance, Joining me now to discuss this and more is Jim Roguski. He is a member of the Law and Activism Committee at the World Council for Health, and he tracks the World Health Organization and what they're pushing forward with this pandemic accord. Jim, welcome back to Washington Watch.
4: Well, thank you very much for having me.
1: Appreciate it. You categorized this um, last week, this meeting at the United Nations, and the failure to get unanimous consent, a defeat for the U.N. and for the W.H.O., you even called it a glorious failure. Tell us why. Well,
4: they were trying to pull off a bit of theater. You know, it was a theatrical production. And I'll try to make it very, very simple. If, if a committee of people that are members of Congress got together in a room and televised it and said that they had adopted an agreement and led people to believe that it was actually Congress that had adopted that agreement. I think most people would realize that that was a theatrical production that did not reflect reality. So the 11 nations did their homework. They know the rules. And what they saw that was being attempted was not the same as, you know, the actual General Assembly meeting discussing and voting on a declaration that the UN proper then got behind. And so they they put a wrench in the works of the propaganda machine, and that hasn't stopped the media from misrepresenting it. You can see headlines that people come away with, oh, the UN adopted this. No, it was a bunch of people in a room that said they agree to it, but they were forced to put a little caveat in their statement that said, well, you know, we're adopting this subject to at some later date, we'll try to get this before the actual U.N. General Assembly. So, you know, it they were exposed for the shenanigans that they were attempting to, you know, propagate this propaganda.
1: Uh, but, Jim, the media really hasn't reported on it. Uh, they haven't reported much of this at all. Plus, when you look at the statements coming out of the United Nations, they just kind of sweep all of that under the rug. In fact, I want to play a clip of the Director General, Tedros Gabrielsis. Um This was today over in Geneva making a comment on last week's uh, meeting. Clip seven.
0: Last week was
5: a historic week for health with three high-level meetings on health issues at the U.N. General Assembly in New York. Member states approved strong political declarations on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response, universal health coverage, and tuberculosis. All three are relevant to the work of this region.
1: How do you respond to that, Jim?
4: Well, you know, you can see how they spin a failure. He said member states approved. That leads someone to want to believe that that was some sort of an official, you know, statement. But it, it's propaganda. What was said was that this is subject to being presented at some future date before the actual United Nations General Assembly. And so, uh, you know, that is misinformation because they don't let people know right. that. You know, this is coming. And, you know, once you understand how they play the propaganda game, those 11 nations saw it coming and they called it out in advance and they actually used the word pretend in their letter to the president of
1: the general It was a pretty, pretty well-written letter, a pretty strong letter. So l- let me just ask you this, Jim. My, this is my take on what the UN, how they've spun this, how the WHO has spun this. They want everybody to think that, oh, yeah, everybody is for this, therefore you should be for it too. Exactly. And um, what I'd like to do is
4: a little bit of what um, those 11 nations did. Um, please be aware that next week, October two, three, four, five, and six, the working group uh, with the WHO's amendments to the International Health Regulations is scheduled to have meetings where they're going to be discussing some very important issues, definitions of terms. You know things like the word vaccine. You know what does that really mean? There is not a legal definition of vaccine or pandemic or safe or effective. Um, they're going to be talking about the scope of the amendments to the regulations, the principles, things like dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms. But most importantly, next week, they're gonna be discussing what most people call a vaccine passport, but they refer to as the Global Digital Health Certification Network. Now they're likely to do all of that in secret. And and so what they do is they try to, have all of these meetings in secret. And this is the next to the last meeting in regards to the amendments to the international health regulations. People need to know that last year at their um, World Health Assembly in May of 2022, amendments were adopted. And the deadline to reject those amendments is coming up very rapidly, December 1st. Nobody in the media, nobody in Congress or the Senate, and quite frankly, nobody in any parliamentary body around the world has spoken up because there is still two months left for every nation. And I, I you know, I am praying on a regular basis. I, I I mean this sincerely, that national leaders around the world come to their senses and do what's needed, just simply write a letter to the WHO rejecting the amendments that were adopted last year. And everyone, I hope, will pay attention to the negotiations that are coming next week yeah. um, for over 300 more amendments. We must speak now or forever, you know, realize that um, well, they're doing this.
1: Live under this global power grab that the WHO and the United Nations is making. Uh, Jim, we're out of time, but we'll follow up next week Uh, when that meeting takes place, and uh, we're certainly going to prompt people to take action. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to uh, see you. Appreciate your insight. Thank you very much for all you do. Folks, you need to weigh in on this. You can sign this petition. Get the United States out of the World Health Organization. Text WHO to 67742, 67742, WHO. We're out of time for today. Lord willing, we'll see you again tomorrow. Until then, keep standing.